It's Jesus' first instructions to the disciples when they go out for the first time without him. So they're going solo without him. He gives them this list of instructions. And in Matthew 10, 8, he says, freely you've received, freely give. And we've looked at that in terms of kind of the financial component, what it looks like to develop a generous heart. Uh, We're going to pull that verse out and look at it in a broader context. I think the unstated subject of that command is really it's grace. What Jesus is saying is the grace you freely receive from God, you need to freely give. If you look at the verses, particularly before that, you'll see that that's what's going on. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. It's stuff, it's good things that you didn't earn. Your paycheck is not grace. You earn that. If you are, uh, if, you're, if your company does end-of-the-year bonuses that are based on performance, the top salesman in your division gets a fruitcake, you're the top salesman, you get the fruitcake, that's not grace. You earn that. Enjoy it. If somebody gives you a thank you, that's not grace either. They're thanking you for something that you've done. Grace would be if your company gives fruitcake to the number one salesman and you're at the bottom of the barrel and you still get a fruitcake. That's grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't meet the requirements. You didn't meet the standard, but you receive this gift anyway. That's grace, and every good thing God does to us is an, gives to us is an expression of grace. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. None of us, I think, would say we're perfect. We've all messed up at least once at some point in our life, and the Bible says when you do that, that's sin, and the, what you earn from sin is death and all of the things associated with death. That's what we've earned. That's what we deserve. But God gives us something else. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us love. He gives us joy. He gives us direction. He gives us healing. All of those things are expressions of God's grace. We did not earn them, and we cannot earn them. God doesn't work that way. You can't perform your way into receiving these things from God. He's got a different set of rules, and his rules are, I just give it to you because I love you and because I want to. So that's grace. And I think what Jesus is saying to the disciples is all of those good things that God has given to you during your time with me, we don't know how far into his ministry this journey happened. Maybe it was a year, maybe it was 18 months, I don't know. All of the things that you've gotten from me during your 12 or 18 months with me, all of the good things that you freely received, you didn't earn. I picked you, you didn't pick me. I've given you, given you all of these things. Now, I want you to freely give those to the people you're coming into contact with. These guys were going on, it was kind of a, they were going to prepare the way for Jesus to move into these different towns. So a lot of times they were meeting with people that were strangers. They were going to places where they didn't know anybody, where they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know the message of Jesus. And Jesus is giving them instructions on how to engage with people. And I think that still applies for us today. I think the instruction to freely the, the grace that we freely receive, that we need to freely give, I think that still applies to us today when we're interacting with other folks. So that's the context. This is Mark 2, starting in verse 18. Now, John's disciples, John is John the Baptist, and the Pharisees, the Pharisees were religious leaders of the day, were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as he is with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. 
So again, you've got these two groups. You have John's disciples. John is John the Baptist. He's kind of he's this reformer. He's trying to call the nation of Israel back to this standard of purity and holiness and righteousness. And you have the Pharisees who are committed to the same thing. They're going about it in two different ways, but they're committed to the same thing. They want to see the kingdom of God, which is God's rule or reign on the earth, come. Things are a mess for their country, and they want God to fix it. And so as a part of that program, the Pharisees in particular fast every Monday and every Thursday. And John's disciples apparently are fasting as well. That's kind of what they did. You want God's kingdom to come. Well, one of the things you do is you fast. It's a sign of your humility and your desperation and your purity and all of these things. So John's disciples want to see the kingdom. They're concerned about that. The Pharisees are concerned about the kingdom, and they've heard Jesus' message. His message is simply repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So they say, well, he's one of us. He wants the same thing we want, and they notice his disciples aren't fasting, and so they ask an appropriate question. It's not hostile. They get hostile later. At, At this point, I don't think it's a hostile exchange. What they're saying is we're interested in the kingdom of God, You're interested in the kingdom of God. We know fasting is a key to that. Well, how come y'all aren't fasting? And Jesus' response is just is simple because it's inappropriate. You don't fast at a wedding. At a wedding, you expect to eat. It's a celebration. It's a feast. And, And what Jesus is saying is just like you wouldn't fast at a wedding, it's not time for my disciples to fast now because I'm with them. I'll leave, and at some point they will, but now it's inappropriate. And then he gives two examples that you maybe you have heard before. He says it would be like if someone had a rip in their jeans and they wanted to patch it, you wouldn't put unshrunk an unshrunk patch on the tear in your jeans because when you wash the jeans again, the patch is going to shrink. And just like you wouldn't put new wine, which is still fermenting, which means it's still going to expand into old wineskins, which have already expanded. So they're inflexible. You wouldn't do that. If you put something that's still expanding into a container that cannot expand, you're, you're asking for trouble. It's not that those things are sinful. It's not sinful to put new wine into old wineskins. It's just dumb. And it's not sinful to, to, to sew uh, a new patch on an old pair of pants. It's just, it, it's dumb. It, it doesn't accomplish your purpose. If your purpose is to patch the hole in your jeans, then don't put something on your jeans that's going to make the tear worse the first time you wash them. If the point is to carry or to store this new wine that you have, then don't put it in a container that's going to rip. And you're going to lose the wine and you're going to lose the container. It's not a matter of righteous or unrighteous, sinful or not sinful. It's a matter of appropriate and inappropriate or dumb and wise, if you like that better. I want us to grab on to that idea of wine and wineskins, and I want us to try to apply that to where we live. I think that there's a truth there for us. In verse 22, the wine is God's activity through Jesus. It's what God is doing through Jesus in the world. And the wineskin is the Jewish religious system of his day. And what Jesus is saying, there's nothing wrong with fasting, but that's inappropriate for what God is doing now. Y'all didn't expect this. All of you Pharisees, John the Baptist, y'all didn't expect for God to come and live on the earth. We're doing that now. And so the old system is inappropriate for this new reality. So if we pull that forward and lay it on top of our life, every one of you has, hopefully, has wine and you have a wineskin. The wineskin is your lifestyle, not your socioeconomic status. That's a part of it. It's the way you live your life, all of it, everything you're thinking of. That's your wineskin. 
And the wine is the grace of God in your life, the activity of God in your life, what God is doing in your life. And what Jesus said then, he says now, they need to, they need to be appropriate for one another. They need to fit together. You need a wineskin, a lifestyle that's appropriate for the wine or the activity or the grace of God in your life. Let me see if I can illustrate. Three choices. you got three choices. Now, these are wine bottles, and I do not endorse or not endorse wine. I'm neutral. Switzerland, when it comes to alcohol, I don't care. They're empty. If Some of you that hurt your feelings that they're empty. Some of you are glad that they're empty. They're empty. So, And this is water. It's not wine, so don't worry about any of that. So you have three choices. You can be a wine skin without wine, an empty bottle. This is not good. But this is where some of you are. You can be, uh, Jesus says in John 10, 10, he came that we would have life, and that's with a capital L, and have it abundantly, have it fully, have it supernaturally. You can't experience that type of life if you're spiritually dead. And the Bible says all of us are spiritually dead. We're dead in our sins until we repent which is acknowledging that we're living life apart from God and then commit to living life with him. So if you're in the room today and you've never done that, you've never said, I'm a sinner, I've been living my life for myself, I've been living separated from God. If you've never done that and then said, now I'm going to turn around and begin to follow after him, then this is really the best you can hope for. You can have a really pretty bottle, but there's nothing inside of it. It's empty. Now, there are others of you who've done that. You've you're a Christian. You've repented of your sins. You've been following Jesus maybe for years. You love him. He loves you, blah, 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 all this great stuff. But this is how you feel. You're still empty. We'll come back to you in a minute. But just for you're, you're frustrated. You wonder if you're do, you, you wonder kind of what's going on with your life. You probably spend a lot of time bored. What am I doing with my time? Maybe when you go to bed at night, you think, what, what did I just do today? Did, what, did it even matter that I got out of bed? Not kind of in a I'm, I'm depressed mode, but just in a what am I doing with myself mode. There's not a lot of energy on the inside for you. You don't have a lot of motivation. Maybe you kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels. You've got life with a little L, but you don't have life with a capital L. You have a lifestyle, but there's no life in it. So that's one option. The other option is uh, for people who have this grace, God has, is pouring grace on them, but your lifestyle, your wineskin is inappropriate for what he's doing. So that looks something like this. So this is the grace of God, and this is your wineskin, and it doesn't work. It just makes a really big mess all over Kim and not all over me. So that's some of you. <laughs> That's the picture. It's a mess. And for you, it, you're, you're different from the guy who has the bottle that's empty. You've got, there's stuff coming in, but you probably spend a lot of time being frustrated. But it's a different kind of frustrated. It's, uh, did I do anybody any good today? You, you can't, because your lifestyle is inappropriate for the grace God is giving you, you don't do a very, it's, it's just like that paper towel. Some is hitting and you're getting some of it, but a lot of it is bouncing off, and you're doing a terrible job of giving it away to other people. And so you really wonder what difference you're making in the lives of people you're close to. It, it's a different type of, it's still frustration, but it's a different type of frustration. You might be really busy, you might have a lot of stuff going on, but you wonder if you're being effective. And maybe that's kind of a key thing, is I'm, being, I'm not being effective in, what, in the relationships I have and what God wants me to do. I'm just, I'm throwing a bunch of darts at a dartboard, and maybe some of them hit, and maybe some of them don't. 
So it's still frustration. It might be low grade, but it's frustrated for a different reason. You're not frustrated because you don't know. You're frustrated really because you're not being effective. And then the third option, which is what we want, is that you have a wineskin that's appropriate for what God is doing. You have a lifestyle that fits with the grace God is giving you. So then when God pours his grace out, you can, you can store it, you can keep it, but you're not just receiving it for yourself. You're also looking around and you're looking for opportunities to give it away to other people. So this is what you want. You want a lifestyle that fits. You want a lifestyle that's appropriate. It's not, again, if you have a sinful lifestyle, that's a whole separate topic that we can talk about another day, and you need to quit. That's, that's what you do if you're living a sinful lifestyle. You need to stop. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about appropriate, inappropriate, which is, it's different. It's not issues of sin or righteousness. It's issues of what fits with what God is doing. So, for instance, let's say the grace that God has given to me, the, the thing for me is hospitality. I love hugging people, and I'm super extroverted and want everybody to come on over. And that's, let's say that's me. It's not, but let's say it is. So that's my, that's my wine. That's the great, hospitality is a grace. And that's the grace God has given to me. And he's wired me that way. And I'm, I, I love it. It doesn't wipe me out. I enjoy having people in my house and cooking for folk, doing all that stuff. And that's the wine. But then suppose that I'm booked four or five nights a week. I've got soccer. I've got gymnastics. I've got church stuff. I've got stuff, Boy Scouts, PTA, whatever I've got. I would say. My lifestyle, my wineskin is not appropriate for my life, with a capital L, for the wine of hospitality. I can't invite you into my house if I'm never there. And so it doesn't, it doesn't fit together. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not that any of these things, it's not that that lifestyle is sinful. It's just inappropriate for what God has put in me. The life with a capital L that he's given to me doesn't match up with my lifestyle with a little L. And so something needs to change or I'm going to wind up either a mess or an empty bottle, which is not what I want. And so I'll just ask you, which of those three scenarios do you relate with the most? Most of the time, are you more like the empty bottle? Are you more like water spilling everywhere? You're a mess or do you feel like you kind of have it together and that your lifestyle really fits with who you are and what God is calling you to do, the life that he's given you. And that could be the case, and that's excellent if it is. If it's not the case, I think you need to make some adjustments. And we'll get into that here in a second. So the first, the first question you need to ask is what is your wine? What is the life with a capital L? What is the grace that God is giving to you? We spent a lot of time in January, February, and March talking about, we called it our deals, and that was shorthand for that's, your destiny, God's will for your life, purpose, the good works God has created for you to do. We spend a lot of time kind of working through that and trying to figure out what those things are. That's what we're talking about again today. Those, your, the wine or the grace of God, his activity in your life is tied to your deal. As you're giving and receiving this grace that God has for you, you'll be doing your deal. And so just like with our deals, we can't determine it. We just have to discover it. So it's true with this wine or this grace of God in our life. We don't decide what it is. We just have to discern and discover what it is. He, it's his grace, and he decides how he wants to give it and what he wants to give to each of us. It's multifaceted, but it, it starts with him. And so we can't say, 
I want to be hospitable. It doesn't work that way. I need to look and see what has God given to me. What is the grace he's given to me? And if it's not that, then I'm fighting uphill to uh, try to make that be my thing. And so just ask yourself three questions. We don't have time to get into this too much today, but just three questions you could ask if you don't know. If you're the person, you're an empty bottle, but it's not because you're separated from God. It's because you just honestly don't know what the wine is. If I were to say, what's the grace God has given you, you would say, eh. and it's okay. And if that's you, maybe three questions. One, what makes you cry? Some of you, like me, are emotionally understated. And so, not a lot. But are there things that either make you, get you fired up, things that make you sad, or things that get you really excited? Tears of joy, tears of kind of uh, passion when you want to see something happen, and tears of sadness. In 586 B.C., uh, after the Israelites had been just boneheaded for hundreds and hundreds of years, they disobeyed God, disregarded God, he finally said, I'm done. And he allowed the Babylonians to come in to take uh, kind of the cream of the crop into exile, most of the people actually into exile. And the Babylonians, they destroyed the city walls. In those days, if you destroyed the walls of a city, nobody's going to move in because the walls are what protect you. And so the walls are destroyed, and for decades, it sits like that, just in ruins. And the, story, the book of Nehemiah is a story of those walls being rebuilt. In Nehemiah 1, 3, some guys, some exiles, come from Jerusalem, and they talk to Nehemiah, who has a cupbearer to the king. So he's up in the king's little court, and he's got a position of authority. And they come to him, and he says, tell me what's happening in Jerusalem. And they tell him, and this is his response uh, Nehemiah 1 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and the rest of the book is what he said and what he did. But it started with what he felt. Plenty of people knew about the condition of the walls in Jerusalem. But there was a special burden God placed on Nehemiah, and he gave him the grace to lead a pretty ragged bunch of people in a pretty massive rebuilding. Project And it was just a short amount of time. They got the whole thing rebuilt. There's a lot of stuff involved in that, but it all started with what made Nehemiah cry. And what made him cry was the condition of Jerusalem and how that dishonored God. That was God's chosen city, and it, it made him cry that it was in complete disrepair. And that was kind of his clue. I need to do something about this. Um, we would all say, you know, it's sad that there are people in Africa who don't have access to clean water. There's a lady in here today, though, that stirs her. That's a, that's, she doesn't just say that's sad. That moves her deeply, and she does something about it. That's a clue that that might be part of the grace God has given her. And there might be other things that you can think of. So that's the first question, what makes you cry? Either it fires you up, it uh, makes you happy, or it makes you sad. This is kind of that emotional deal. And some of you, again, are, are more in touch with your feelings than some of the rest of us. But God works that way, too. And so you just need to be cognizant of that because it's not the same thing for all of us. And that, that can be a clue what God is doing in your life. The second thing I would ask is, what is your testimony? In the Old Testament, um, when God did something significant, he often told the people to make a monument. And it was just a pile of rocks, usually. It was like 12 rocks, and they set them up and kind of the point was 
you know, you're walking down the road with granddad, and you say, granddad, why is there a pile of rocks on the side of the road? And he says, well, son, back, you know, however many years ago, this is, God did this for us, and I'm, you know, he told us to set up the monument so you would see it, and you would ask me the question, and I could tell you about him, and it was kind of a way of keeping the story alive and laying a spiritual foundation for the generations to come. And so I would ask you, if you had to build a monument to God's activity in your life, what would the rocks be? You might only have one, you might have three, might have more than that. When are the times where if you were to look back, you would say, you know what, God did something significant in my life. And that can be a clue as to what your deal is. I was at a fundraiser for Cobb Pregnancy Services a couple of weeks ago. That's a crisis pregnancy center here in Marietta. And they uh, had testimonies of people who were involved in the ministry. And one that was interesting, they had a post-abortive father. So this was a guy who... uh, In 1977, he and his then-girlfriend, who's now his wife, uh, she got pregnant, and they chose to abort the baby. And he's standing up saying, this is the fallout of that. He since has become a radiologist. And uh, if you're familiar with the pro-life movement, uh, ultrasound machines are a huge tool that they use to encourage women to keep their babies. It's hard to say. It's just a mass of cells and tissue when it waves at you when you put the ultrasound thing on there. So there's a... God has redeemed that. He started, this guy started some ministry or organization, I'm not sure if it's a ministry or not, with his wife that they're actively working to help women who are in crisis pregnancies. That to me, that's that's, that's a rock for him. And it was a tragedy. It was an awful choice that he and his, at that point, girlfriend made. But it wasn't the last word. So this testimony of what God does, it might not just be the happy times, It could be a very difficult time where God worked in your life and saw you through. It could be even something that was dark that God has redeemed in your life. So I'd encourage you just to think about that. If you had to, fast forward 40 years when you've got grandkids, if they were to say, I don't know who God is, tell me, Grandma, tell me, Granddad, what has he done in your life? What are the things that you would say that he's done? What are the, the, the rocks that make up the monument? That can be a clue to help you know the grace that he's given you because yours are different from mine. It's not, that's just a part of it. That's a way of getting into what God has done in your life. And the last thing I would ask is what do you do well? Psalm 139 says God has formed us and knit us together in our mother's wombs. And there are things you do well. It's not humility to say you don't do anything well. It's an insult to God because he made you. There, I'm not asking what you're the best in the world at. You might not be the best in the world at anything. But there are things that you do well. And that's a clue as to what the great grace is good stuff that God has given you. And there are things he has given you naturally that you've been able to do since you were six years old. And that's an expression of his grace. You can do that and you're better than other people at that. There are talents that he's given you. There are gifts. There's, there's, it's who he's made you to be. And you need to think about that. When people who love you give you honest feedback, what do they tell you do a good job at? What do you hear from people? Not when they're just trying to make you feel better because you're having a bad day, but when they're sincerely speaking into your life, what do you hear? Those are the things that you need to really think about and really grab onto. It's probably an indication that that's grace God has given you. Whether it's a personality trait, whether it's a skill, whether it's a talent, whether it's a gift, all of those things kind of form together to help you get a clue to what the wine is, what the grace is, that God has given you. And some of you tend to downplay 
and you don't need to do that. I'm not saying you've got to go get a megaphone and talk about how great you are. But most of you are not going to fall into that ditch. The ditch you're going to fall into is, I can't do anything. I'm not, there's nothing good about me. I'm mediocre at all things. And that's not true. He's given you stuff, and you need to use it. You don't need to, Jesus talks about hiding our light under a basket, and he's talking about the light of the gospel. But I would say even the grace of God in our life, we can hide that under a basket. And we do it a lot of times out of, it's a false sense of humility. I don't want to brag. I don't want to appear arrogant. I don't want, I don't want to be that guy who's always drawing a spotlight. But again, most of you aren't going to fall into that ditch. The one you're going to fall into is on the other side of the road where the good things God has done, nobody knows about because you keep them hidden for whatever reason. You, you don't need to do that. You need to bring that stuff out. It's a key. It's a clue to, to the grace God has given you, and you've got to share it. If it's under a bushel, if it's under a basket, you can't share it with anybody else, and that's the point. It's not about us elevating ourselves and receiving more grace. The point is we receive the grace so we can give the grace away. Remember, those were the instructions. Freely you've received. That's just the first half. So freely give. But first, you've got to recognize what you've received or you don't have anything to give. So that's for those of you who feel like you're an empty bottle. You just don't know. You don't need to feel bad about that. You might have been a Christian for a really long time, but never really spent any time thinking about what is the particular expression of grace that God has given to me. You need to. You just need to dial down. You need to begin to ask the Lord, what is it? What's the wine that you've given to me, you can't go to the wine skin. You can't go to the lifestyle until you start with the wine, which is the life. And then the second thing, once you feel like you got a handle on the wine, at least to some degree, then the question is just, well, does your li- is your lifestyle appropriate? Is your wine skin appropriate for that? Think back to that hospitality example. Does it fit? If the wine is hospitality and the wine skin is I'm gone five or six nights a week, it doesn't fit. And the wine is not going to change. That's grace God has given me. I need to alter my lifestyle to match up with that. This is the most important part, but I can't give you anything specific because there's as many wineskins as there are people. So just a few things for you to be thinking about when it comes to this. One, if you're married, you've got to get together on this. There's only one wineskin for your family. There's not two. If, you have two diff- if you're running two different tracks as a husband and wife, even if they're parallel, that is danger will robinson you have you can't do that because at some point they're going to diverge and right now you might be really close to each other but over time you're going to drift there's one wine skin there's one lifestyle for your family and y'all got to get together it's not the grace that god has given y'all is different but it's complementary it's not they're not they don't repel one another they, they blend together and y'all just need to talk about it and you need to get on the same page and guys you don't tell your wife to submit and get behind you and Girls, you don't, whatever you do, manipulate, nag, that's sexist. I don't know what you do. Don't do that. Guys say get behind, guys can pull the God card and say, submit, and this is what we're doing. Don't do that. It doesn't work. And girls, again, whatever your counter to that is, don't do that either. It's not how it works. We have to decide together. We need to figure this thing out together. If you have any confidence that God has pulled you and your wife together, then you have to trust he knew what he was doing. And that there's, a, there's one plan, for, there's one wineskin for the Eldridges. And we've got to figure out what that is. And it's not going to be everything I want. It's not going to be everything she wants. There's some blend of that that we need to get. 
And we just need to take the time to do that. If you're single but you desire to be married, I would say you need to figure this out. There are very few things to me that are upfront deal breakers. This is not romantic at all, but I think the only two things that are necessary for successful marriage are two people who love one another and two people who love God. If you love one another and you love Jesus, it's fine. He, he, can, hand, he can work all of that stuff out. They don't make right, you know, there's no Disney movies about that, but I think, I think it's true. However, if the wine, the grace that God has given you, if you don't know what that is, or if, if you're not committed to it, and you're, if you're seeing someone, interested in someone, dating someone, where they, they're not complimentary, that is a huge red flag to me. I'm, I'm counseling you to really step back. No matter how far down the road you are, until the ring is on your finger, you can still get out. And if, if, if y'all don't line up when it comes to the grace that God has given you and where you see yourself headed in terms of lifestyle and wine skinned, all of that stuff, you really need to step back and say, is this, is this right? It's, this is deeper than how you feel about each other and any connection or whatever that means that you have. This is who God has made you to be and the grace God has given to you. And you don't want to compromise that for somebody else. And the trust factor for you is there's somebody out there who fits. And that can be easy for me to say because I've already found her. And it can be difficult for you to say, no, no, I'm not. I'm, this might be as good as it gets. I don't know who the next person is around the corner. You've got to trust the Lord in that. You don't want to compromise on this because you'll be miserable. You'll either wind up a mess or you're going to wind up an empty bottle but you're not going to wind up having a lifestyle that's appropriate for the grace God has given to you. And the, again, the trust point for you as someone who's single and desires to be married is she's out there, he's out there, and God will, and it'll fit, and you'll know it'll fit. If you're single and you don't have any desire to be married, you're kind of in a great place because you're not, you're, you're, you don't have to mesh with anybody. And there's just a real freedom for you to hear what God is saying and to go and do that. And so I would say, do that. And don't wait. You don't have to wait till you graduate from college. You don't have to wait until you've achieved some level of economic security. Just do it. Whatever that lifestyle looks like, begin to incorporate that right now. Begin to make those changes right now. And the only other thing I would say is that your wine skin can change over time. I don't think the wine does. I think it is what it is. You might grow into a deeper understanding of what it is, but I don't think it changes. Your wine skin can. Right now we have four kids under 10, and so that there's certain limitations that that places on us. And when we have four kids over 20, it'll be different. And so there's a sense in which our lifestyle will change, and you, you get that. Some of you are in college, and when you graduate, it's going to change. And some of you are at the beginning of your career. Some of you are in the middle. Some are at the end. Some are looking to shift careers. Some of you are newlyweds. You know, there's all kinds of different lifestyle dynamics and it's okay for the wine skin to change as long as it's appropriate for the wine you get it i don't know that you got it <laughs> or you're playing like it i'm not going to talk anymore so um i'm gonna i'm gonna pray bo you come back up and lead us uh, again i think this is an important Thing, I actually think this is one of the reasons God st stirred this church into being a few years ago 
was to help people figure this stuff out. If you're, if you're in here, my commitment to you as your pastor is I'll walk with you as long as I've got to walk with you to help you figure out what is the wine for you and then what does the lifestyle look like. To me, that's the key to who we are as a people and to God doing what he wants to do in our city. We talk about community transformation. That's our vision, and it's so big it doesn't even mean anything. But I think the key to actually seeing God begin to work out there in the circles that we live in is for all of us to begin to freely give away the grace that we've received. And so that means two things. One, you've got to know the grace that you've received. You can't give away what you don't have, and you can't give away what you don't know. And the second thing is that we would have a lifestyle that would be appropriate for doing that. If our lifestyles don't match our life with a capital L, it's not going to work. We're going to either be a mess or we're going to be an empty bottle. But either way, that doesn't do anybody we're in relationship with very much good. We're not being channels of grace then. We're, we're just a mess or we're an empty bottle. And that's not what we want. So it's worth, to me, wrestling, chewing. Again, if you're married, this is a together thing. If you're single, it's you just you still need to dig into this and you need to get it settled. And I would say the sooner, the better. It's a litmus test for me when you're looking for a marriage partner. Something I'm I would ask if you were coming to me and asking me to marry you. That's one of the things I'm going to ask you about. I'm not going to ask you what your wine skin is, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to figure out if you guys are headed in the same direction. So that's that. Let me pray and then uh, Bo will close us with worship.